As we prepare to pray the Lord's Prayer together, I wanted to take this opportunity to finish what I started last week and do a little bit more teaching about this great prayer that the Lord himself gave us, one of the most important prayers we can pray, a prayer that we should pray every day. I believe we got through hallowed be thy name, because I remember it was Halloween and we made a point about that. The next line is thy kingdom come. In other words, let your kingdom come. And what do we know about the kingdom of God? We heard John the Baptist say the kingdom of God is at hand when Jesus had come into earth. So we know that the kingdom of God is the presence of Christ. We know that the kingdom of God is within us. And of course, when we ask his kingdom to come, that is not to say that his kingdom is not already in its glory. Because nothing is not subject to the power of God. But we, in our human nature, are too weak to achieve anything good. We are too hard-pressed around us by all the sin and passion and evil in the world. And so we cry out to God, let your kingdom come, because I need your help to vanquish my enemy. I need your help to vanquish all the sin and all the passions and all the evil that assault me. And if we desire, if we really desire that God should reign, sin should have no sovereignty in us. We should not obey the commandments of sin, but we pray for him to transform the ravaged and pillaged city of our soul into a garden that will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. St. Maximus the Confessor says that the kingdom of God belongs to the humble and meek, to the one who knows his very being is on loan to him from God. And that should be our attitude. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done. Or more exactly translated, let your will come about. Again, God is almighty. He will do what he wants. Nothing can get in the way of God's will. If God wills it, it's going to happen. So when we pray, let your will come about, what we are praying is very much like what we pray, let your name be sanctified, let your kingdom come. We are praying for his will to come about in us. We are praying that we may do what he wishes, that his will may be done in us. Remember, when Christ came, he spoke so much of his Father and that he came to do his Father's will. It was all about his Father's will. If you read the Gospel, you see that. And here he's teaching us to do the very same thing. And if we are to pray this, one of the fathers says, we must renounce what was contrary to his will in confession. And again, finally, another father says that nothing is offered to God in heaven except spiritual worship by the angels. So when we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how is his will done in heaven? It's done by the angels who are ceaselessly giving praise and glory to God without any sin, without any evil, without any obstacle to that. You remember the famous story when St. Vladimir sent the emissaries to Constantinople to see what the worship was like there? They came back to him and said, we didn't know whether we were in heaven or on earth. And that's why we take such care in our worship. That's why we spend so much money decorating a building with icons. 
That's why I never let the choir have a break and I'm always pushing them to do better. We want to make our worship like it is in heaven among the angels. That's our goal in worship, to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. Christ himself said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. When we ask for our daily bread, we're asking for Christ himself. And we ask for our daily bread. We ask for as much as is needful, not extending our desire into the future. Because for us, human life is but the life of a day. Only the present is ours. We don't know when our time will come to depart this life. And we make such a mistake because we try to extend our physical life far into the future. We put so much effort into that. And we neglect other things that we should be doing with regard to God. So in saying, give us this day our daily bread, the Lord is teaching us that we should not live to eat, but eat to live. We should only ask for as much as we need so that after we have obtained what we need, we can stop worrying about our livelihood. And one of the fathers says, I love this, if you want to flavor your daily bread, let your flavoring be hunger. Let your flavoring be a good conscience. A good conscience meaning you're satisfied not because others are hungry, not because you've gotten your necessity of life unjustly, but to have our daily bread seasoned with hunger, a good conscience, and the sweat of our labor. Next, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We say trespasses, but it's not the best translation. Forgive us our debts. Actually, the word for forgiveness is aphesis in the Lord's Prayer, which means to let go. There's another word for forgiveness. Synchorisis means to occupy the same place. So let our debts go as we let go our debtors. That's the best translation of that line. And it's amazing what God is calling us to do because only God can forgive sins. But you know what he's telling us? He's telling us you should be like me. You should be like me in this. Because the very judgment you cast upon someone else is going to come back to you. Our very reluctance, our very inability to forgive, our holding of a grudge, we can expect the same thing. And so we ask God to be merciful to both of us, both me and the person who wronged me both me and the person who sinned against me. And my sins, of course, are greater than the sins of someone who sinned against me. We know this if we're calling out to God, but we know that his mercy is greater than ours as well. So living a spiritual life means forgiveness and spiritual detachment against those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. God does not tempt us. And God does not lead us into temptation. So what does this mean? Well, he may not cause temptation. He may not lead us into temptation, but he does allow temptation in this life. Why? Why does he allow temptation in this life? When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we pray that he does not allow any more power to be given to the evil one than he has already allowed the evil one to have. Remember Job and all the testing that was given to Job. So power is given to the evil one in proportion to our sins. And when we experience temptation, it's sometimes because of punishment for our sins or 
for glory when we are proved. Sometimes God will allow temptation and testing to us so that he may be glorified by our triumph over it. So we're called to be humble in the face of our frailty and weakness. And the whole of human life is a time of testing. No one gets out of this. No one is exempt from temptations and trials and tribulations. Nobody. So when we pray, we are praying not to be delivered from testing, which is impossible, but not to be overcome. Not to be overcome when we are tested. And why does God allow this finally? Why does he allow us to be tested? He allows it so that we can become self-aware, so that we can become aware of the sin and evil within us. When the serpent tempted Eve, he didn't cause Eve to sin. He revealed the sin that was already in her. When temptations come to us, they do not create sin. They reveal to us the state of our soul. And that's why God allows us to be tempted, so that we can become more self-aware and realize more our need for him. But deliver us from evil. This world is awash in evil. This world is awash in sin and in the passions. But we're asking that God keep those far away from us. A hurricane is dangerous if you're close by. A fire is really dangerous if you're close by. A war is really deadly if you're in it. But we're praying, keep that far away from us and deliver us from it. In Psalm 4, verse 2, there's a line that says, you enlarged me in my affliction. Sometimes it's through testing and affliction that God expands us. He helps us grow and he enlarges us. So, all that in a little bitty prayer.